suspect you could probably hear me without anyway, so uh, it was not exactly a large group this morning. But it's great to see you this morning. The title of message this morning is Standing Tall. You know, death reveals so much about who we are, uh, how we die, that is, and uh, who we are, what we believe in. And this morning we're going to look at a man who not only lived well, but died well. The French philosopher Voltaire, who died about 200 years ago, said about Jesus, curse the wretch. He boasted in 20 years Christianity will be no more. He said, by my single hand, I shall destroy the edifice. It took 12 apostles to rear. He was a proud man. But when he died, he cried out in desperation, I am abandoned by God and man. I will give you half of what I'm worth if you give me just six months' life. We contrast his death, calling out, abandoned by God and man, and trying to gain a few more months of life. Contrast that with the death of John Wesley, who died praising God. His final words were, the best of all is, God is with us. The best of all is, God is with us. And Jonathan Edwards, when dying with smallpox, died saying, where is Jesus, my never-failing friend? Today we're going to look at the final day in the life of Stephen. So if you turn to your Bibles, we're going to start in chapter 6, and we'll read that in a moment. We first encounter Stephen in chapter 6 of Acts. As we progress through the book of Acts, we see in chapters 2, verses 42 to 47, the development of the early church. We saw them gathering around the word. We saw them fellowshipping. And we, verse 47 of verse, chapter 2 says, The Lord added to their number daily. The church in Acts 4 was progressing, going well. People being cared for. There was a great grace upon them. And then we get to chapter 6. The church still growing, but now the effect of that growth was causing so, so many members to be upset. There was a complaint because they said the widows were being neglected. And here they came to a crisis, the first crisis, if you like, in the early church. And the apostles were concerned that if they were to get involved in serving tables and caring for the needs of the widows, it was referred to as serving tables and doing those type, that type of work, the, the temporal and physical needs of the church, the preaching of the word would be compromised. Here was a potentially a major issue right at the start of the church that could cause division. There was a potential for conflict, but the apostles had a plan to avoid this conflict and division and meet the needs of the widows. And that was to pick out seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, and appoint them to do these tasks, these duties, so that they could devote themselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. And we read in chapter 6, verse 1, about seven men who were going to serve. And Stephen was named amongst those seven men who were going to be set aside for a deaconing role. And we looked at this passage, some of you remember, last year, when we looked at the whole uh, situation of having deacons in the church. So this morning we're going to move on to verse 8. We're not going to go back over that, but we're going to move on to 
verse 8 of chapter 6. So let's read. So I want to read this morning from uh, 8 to 15, and then Acts 7, 51 to 60, and then chapter 8, 1 to 3. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedom, as it is called, and of the Cyrenians and the Alexandrians, and those from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly instigated men who said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people. They stirred up the people and the, uh, uh, and the elders and the scribes. And they came upon him and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, this man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. But we've heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sit in the council saw his face was like the face of an angel. And if we move on to verse 51, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers do, did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers persecute? Did not Read that again. Which of the prophets did not your fathers persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. But he, that is Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears, and they rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he said this, he fell asleep. And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. So who is this man, Stephen? What do we know about him? Well, first, verse 8 tells us that Stephen was a man full of of grace and power. Then in chapter 6, verse 5, he's referred to as a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. 
I would suggest this was a man who lived what he believed. Interestingly, he was not called to be an apostle. He was a deacon. To serve as a deacon in the church. And verse 8 tells us because he was witnessing and doing great wonders and signs among the people, the religious people were upset and argued with Stephen. But they were no match for Stephen. They couldn't stand both his wisdom and his disposition. I like that in, in, when we read that about not only his words but his spirit. There was something about the way Stephen was arguing. They, they were impressed, they were affected by his spirit. And we can read this story just at first glance this morning and place Stephen on a pedestal and see him as some sort of hero figure. So often we can look at people like Stephen and place them on pedestals. But here was an ordinary man, full of faith, Holy Spirit. I look around this room. This morning there are people here, full of faith and the Holy Spirit. We need to be careful we don't pedestalise these men in such a way that we think they're so far away from where we were at. Stephen was an ordinary man. And so often we could look for events as a means of witnessing, but the primary way we see the New Testament growth comes from individuals like Stephen telling people about Jesus. Stephen had faith in Jesus Christ and was filled with the Holy Spirit, just like you and me. We have faith in Jesus Christ. We have the Spirit of God as we've learned so far as we've been going through, through Acts with us. So we can be witnesses like Stephen. There's not any reason that we can't. Here is a man who doesn't miss an opportunity to speak about Jesus. And all this reminds me of people that I look at right now. People in this church who love Jesus and want to talk about Jesus. So this morning I just have three points. Stephen's crime, Stephen's speech and Stephen's reward. First of all, let's look at Stephen's crime. Stephen here was brought before the Sanhedrin. And as they brought him to the Sanhedrin, they had previously arranged for false witnesses to accuse Stephen of speaking blasphemous words against Moses and God. So what are these charges? That, what are these false accusations? Well, verse 13 tells us what, what they, were, they were charging him with. This man never, speaks, never ceases to speak words against this holy place, this temple. And the law, referring then to Moses, for we have heard that this Jesus of Nazareth would destroy this place, this temple, and change the customs that Moses delivered to us. They accused him of speaking against this holy place, the temple and the law. Three things that they accused him of doing. Three things were so important, we'll see a little bit more about that later on. So important to these people. And with a total lack of understanding, they refer to Jesus' statement that we read about in John 2, verse 19. Jesus said, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. They didn't understand that Jesus was talking about him as the temple and his eventual death on a cruel cross and his resurrection 
three days later. Stephen's preaching threatened the special place that the temple had in their lives and the change that they foresaw that Stephen's witness about Jesus would be as a threat to their customs and to their law. Two areas that were so important to these leaders that were now under threat. It seems right from the outset of this trial, by the stirring up of the people, secretly instigating men to come with these blasphemous charges, that Stephen's fate was sealed. So this is somewhat of a mockery of a trial. It was a mockery of a trial, even though the high priest gave Stephen the opportunity to refute the charges and accusations. And what followed was the longest recorded New Testament sermon ever preached. Yet Stephen was not primarily considered to be a preacher or a teacher, but when confronted with his face, he not only preached with an understanding of Israel's history, but also with wisdom and boldness. He didn't have time to research and study the scriptures, plan a sermon, but he knew the Old Testament. He understood God's redemptive history leading to the coming of Christ. And although the New Testament, as we know it, hadn't been written, he knew how the death and resurrection of Jesus connected to the Old Testament. Stephen faced these false accusations and responded to the question that the high priest asked him, are these things true, by bringing his speech. And that starts in chapter 7, verse 2. So our second point this morning is Stephen's speech. Stephen's speech, as I just said, is found in Acts 7. Stephen, in response to the charge being made against him, that he opposes the law of Moses, laws of Moses and the claim that Jesus was going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, starts to retell the story of Israel's history and God's dealing with Israel. As Stephen retells the story, he highlights the fact that Abraham, Joseph, Moses and David, who were amongst God's chosen prophets, have always been mistreated by their own people. And now Jesus, standing in a long line of prophets, was also mistreated by his own, was persecuted and finally nailed to a cross. Stephen, unlike Peter's defence in the Sanhedrin, which we looked at a few weeks ago, where his defence centres on Christ, Stephen is not really defending, he's retelling. He is reminding them of their history. He's retelling the Old Testament. And it's in Acts 7 where we read his sermon, but we haven't got time this morning to read all of it. It's a long sermon. I encourage you to read it when you get home. But there are three sections in this sermon. And Stephen, in retelling of God's dealings with Israel, was going to address three pillars of popular Judaism. The land, the law, and the temple. And these were sacred cows to the Jews. These were sacred cows to these religious leaders. The first sacred cow was the land. Popular opinion was that God gave special privileges to those who lived in Palestine, the Holy Land. But the gospel and God's activity and his promises are not restricted to the Holy Land. And he was trying to explain that, as I said, we don't have time this morning, but God, by saying God revealed himself to Abraham while he was living in Mesopotamia. 
God bless Joseph in Egypt. Moses was raised in Egypt and matured in Midian. And he was commissioned near Mount Sinai. And God called that land holy ground. Ground he stood on was holy. Holy ground he was coming against their belief that it was special to them and their nation. Holy ground is not just inside the borders of Palestine. It is wherever God meets his people. God meets us here, it's holy ground. The second holy cow was the glorification of the law and the reverential respect of Moses. Moses and the law could not save the Israelites. Moses himself told them to look for another prophet. And then the final sacred cow was the temple. For the Israelites, they believed that because they had the temple, God is with them. And Stephen answered this false security they had in the temple by quoting Isaiah 66, 1 and 2. Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things? God's purposes, God's plans, God's promises are not restricted to a land. It's not restricted to where we live, the place we inhabit, nor are they restricted by us obeying the law and not restricted by the meeting place, any church building. The land, the law and the temple instead all look forward in anticipation of Jesus. All pointed beyond the land, beyond the law and the temple and have now been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. We sang earlier in the song, but Matthew 5, 17 says, I have not come to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them. Jesus came to fulfill. The Old Testament looks forward to Christ. The New Testament and the Gospels tells us about Jesus. And then the letters and the, 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 we see afterwards are telling us why and giving us a greater understanding of what Christ has accomplished for us. Jesus replaces the temple. No longer do we have to go to a temple as they went to to make sacrifices for sins. Jesus had made the sacrifice for sin once and for all. Is that not good news? We don't have to come. We don't come here this morning. We certainly don't come here this morning with cows and goats or whatever to, to sacrifice or to go through some if, uh, atonement exercise. We have been forgiven. Christ has paid that sacrifice once and for all. Access to God is no longer through the temple. Their access to God in the Old Testament is through the temple. No longer going to the temple, but has been gained through our trust in and our believing on the works of Jesus Christ. They didn't want to hear this. This was a real problem to us, to them. They, they were really annoyed. I mean, first of all, if there was no, no more temple, they didn't have a job any longer. They were going to be out of work. But they, this, was, this was huge to them. But Luke 
in writing this, wants to direct his readers and the reader's gaze away from the temple and see Jesus who replaces the temple. That's what he's trying to do. That's what he's, in, in, in recounting this and this sermon that, that Stephen preached, he wants to direct our attention away from the temple and see Jesus who replaces the temple. The Sanhedrin were not prepared to listen or repent to God for their hard hearts. And in verses 51 to 53, Stephen concludes this sermon, concludes this retelling of the history of Israel by addressing them. I mean, this was, this was strong stuff. You stiff-necked people. Now, when I was reading this, thinking, here, here, was, here was Stephen standing amongst all these leaders. There would have been many, many people there. He's a young man. We know he's young. I don't know whether that makes that much difference, but he's young. I think I would, as an older man, would have the same problem or feel it. He was standing amongst these people, these high-ups, as it were, these people who had his life in their hands. And he's given this history, and then he says to them, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did not kill your fathers? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. Quite a charge, isn't it? Quite a thing to say. Quite a boldness. You've got to be filled with the Holy Spirit, I think, to be able to stand there as a young man and address these leaders. This must have been really hard for these, the, these men to hear. And Stephen's purpose in his speech was to show that Jesus experienced the same things as Abraham, Joseph and Moses. And the primary theme of his speech is that Israel's leaders have constantly, consistently failed to recognise that God had told his people ahead of time that they could expect change, that there was someone who was going to come to fulfil the law. They had falsely concluded that the present state of Judaism was the final stage in God's plan of revelation and redemption. The rejection of Israel by the Lord's anointed servant also dominates his speech. The rejection of Israel by the Lord's anointed servants also dominates. Jesus was another of God's anointed servants they had rejected. Verse 54 tells us that they were somewhat enraged. enraged. Somewhat, somewhat enraged. They were fiercely enraged. So much so that they ground their teeth. Now I've, I've spoken at various events and I've known people struggle or argue with what I've said but I've never actually knowingly seen anybody grind their teeth well there may have been but I've not seen it, I've not experienced it but that's how uptight they were 
They were really upset. And it's no wonder, because he... In fact, Stephen's going to go on and make it worse in a minute, which brings us to our third point, Stephen's reward. Stephen, sermon, and certainly by the end of this, it, he's, it was his death warrant. <laughs> but the thing about Stephen, as our title says, Stephen was standing tall. At first you might question, Peter, why, why do we finish with the last point when we're going to talk about his death as... Stephen's reward. Perhaps a more suitable title would be Stephen's tragic death. I think we have good reason to believe that Stephen had a great reward. Stephen enraged them even further when he tells them his vision, tells them his vision, his vision in 55. That when they heard these things, they were, they were um, enraged and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Spirit, Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. He cried out with a loud voice. This was almost the last straw. This was, this was taking them to a place they, they couldn't just move on. And before we move on to see actually what they happened, Scripture, I think it's wonderful seeing that in Stephen's vision, he sees Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Now, those, those of you who know your Bibles well will know that Jesus is normally depicted as seated at the right hand of God. His work was complete. I think this gives us a wonderful picture. A wonderful picture how when Stephen was about to lose his life, Jesus stood up. I think, it doesn't tell me, I think he probably had his arms outstretched. And he was welcoming, he was getting ready to welcome, to welcome the first Christian martyr home. That's a wonderful vision of how Jesus is going to welcome us. I don't know whether he's going to stand up when we, when we go to heaven. <laughs> I'm looking for my well done, good and faithful servant. If I don't get that, I don't know how I'd react because there's, there's, there's no tears in heaven, but, but the but part of that. But I, I would love, I mean, wouldn't it be wonderful to, to get to heaven? Jesus stands up, arms open wide, and welcomes us. I think it's a wonderful picture of how we will be welcomed into heaven. And I think that picture for, for Stephen was such a, a strength to him. Such a help to him in this critical time. What a picture. What a reward. What a reward that would be. I think Pete, Stephen got his reward. Stephen got his reward. But he didn't get it here. He got it in, in heaven. As a result of this, because this enraged them even further. You're saying you see God? You see you see God, the throne of God, and you see this Jesus standing beside the person, remember, they crucified Although he actually called him the son of man, which was his, his kind of term of uh, his incarnation. But you, this man, they, that annoyed them even more. And so as a result, they dragged Stephen out of the city and began to stone him. And when we read about him, them stoning, they say that they laid down their garments at the feet of a young man called Saul. Name Saul. 
the stoning of a person is probably not quite as we think. We probably think, and it could happen, but we probably think, here's the man being stoned. A few stones are thrown at him and he's dead. No, it was hard work. So hard that these people stripped to the waist, these men stripped to the waist, and laid their garments before Saul. Because it was such an exercise, such, it, it needed strength. It, needed, it, was, it was perspiring. Remember, we're in a hot country as well. People don't just die that quickly from stoning. It takes a lot of time and effort. But Stephen died. Stephen died as Christ's ambassador. In Corinthians, we read about us being Christ's ambassadors. He was Christ's ambassador. But he died a terrible death. But in that death, there was an awesome beauty. In that death. I mean, I'd, I'd go for stoning if I saw Jesus. <laughs> there was a beauty, there was reward. Stephen, in the last day of his life, lived like Christ, and he died like Christ. In the same way as Jesus cried from the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Stephen called out, loud voice, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then falling to his knees, he cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. He fell to his knees. But right up to the very end, Stephen was standing tall. In his heart, in his disposition, he was standing tall. He was not defeated. Death came his way, but he was not defeated. The wonderful thing is the story doesn't finish here. In chapter 8, we see our first activity of Saul. Verse 1 tells us that he approved of Stephen's execution. And as a result of this event, he and others brought about a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And as a result, the church was scattered throughout the region of Judea and Samaria. What men meant for evil, God used this persecution to spread the gospel throughout the world. They were trying to put it down, but God, this gospel is unstoppable. And what, what about Saul? He, he went from house to house, throwing people into prison. But this Saul, who became Paul, met in chapter 9, we'll read as we come to that, he met with Jesus on the road to Damascus and eventually had an incredible effect on the spread of the gospel. As a result of Stephen's execution, the memory of Stephen tormented Paul and he couldn't let it go. <coughs> Excuse me. That's why on the road to Damascus, Jesus said, why do you persecute? Why do you persecute? Why kick against the goads? What were the goads? Paul was being goaded by the Spirit of God since the stoning of Stephen. And now in encountering Christ, he was dramatically converted. Stephen fulfilled the role of ambassador. And as a result, Paul became the most prolific evangelist and church planter. We do not know what the ultimate effect of our witnessing for Christ will produce. 
We may think it's just one person. Stephen, one person. This was the start of a chain of events. Led to the man who gave us so much of the, Old, of the New Testament for us to understand, but also planted many, many churches. We don't know what one person affected one person. There was a Sunday school teacher called Edward Kimball, who in 1858 led a young boy to Christ. That boy was D.L. Moody. He grew up to be a preacher. In 1879, Moody led to the Lord a young man by the name of F.B. Meyer, who also grew up to be a preacher. Meyer, in turn, won a young man by the name of J.W. Chapman to Christ. Chapman, in turn, grew up to be a preacher and brought the gospel to a baseball player called Billy Sunday. Billy Sunday held a meeting in Charlotte, and the preacher was a man called Mordecai Ham. And in that meeting, a teenager called Billy Graham gave his life to Jesus. A chain of events. From one, the, the, the Sunday school teacher, Edward Kimball, was a shoe salesman. He was not a preacher. He was just a Sunday school teacher. But from one person, the effect of leading to probably one of the greatest evangelists of our time, in Billy Graham. All this started with someone winning a child to Jesus. So just briefly and finally, what, what difference should Stephen's example make in our lives? What can we learn from Stephen's last day? Well, first of all, Stephen provides a godly way of dealing with persecution. He experienced false accusations, hostility both from the Sanhedrin and the people. The people now are turned against, where at the time of Peter in the Sanhedrin, the people were for the apostles. Now many of them are turned against. And that's why the, the Sanhedrin felt very more, more bold to deal with these, these men. They weren't comfortable to do that earlier. Hostility both from the Sanhedrin and the people. The Stephen shows no anger, but just forgiveness. And he provides for us a believer's theology of suffering for the glory of God. He provides a godly way of dealing with persecution. Secondly, he gives us a compelling example of evangelism. Even though he was a deacon, he didn't relegate his role as an ambassador for Christ. He didn't leave all the witnessing to the apostles. He was there to serve the temple needs, the physical needs of the church, but he still preached Christ. He didn't say, that's not my job anymore. I'll leave all that to the apostles. He preached Christ. He didn't relegate his role as an ambassador for Christ. And today, witnessing is not to be left to the pastors. It is for the pastors to witness, but it's not left to the pastors. The pastor's role, pastor's responsibility, is to prepare us all for works of service. Let me just say, that's not the works of how to run a creche or set the hall up in, on a Sunday morning. It's to be ambassadors for Christ. It's the ministry, not necessarily here, but out there, out there. Our role is to prepare for works of service as well as us being ambassadors. And finally, persecution results in the spread of the gospel. It was because of persecution 
that the church was scattered and the gospel spread throughout the region. Persecution so often leads to the spread of the gospel. If you look into China now, so many people are get, becoming saved, bec uh, becoming Christians because, well, not because of persecution, but persecution isn't exactly stopping it from happening, put it that way. But persecution, the church was scattered and the gospel was spread throughout the region. I don't know whether you think of it this way, but our salvation, your salvation, my salvation today, can be traced back to the death of Stephen. Our salvation can be traced back to that. This is our history. This is our history. What an effect Stephen's life and death had on the growth of the gospel. What a testimony of this ordinary deacon. What a way to enter into the presence of God. Tennyson wrote a poem about Stephen's death. He heeded not reviling tones, nor sold his heart to idle moans. Though cursed and scorned and bruised with stones, but upward looking, but, but looking upward, full of grace, he prayed and from a happy place, God's glory smote him on the face. Death will ultimately reveal what each of us truly are, what we truly believe. Stephen's death revealed who he was. He lived like Christ and he stood tall and died like Christ. We're going to sing in a moment how firm a foundation, but there's a great verse in there that says, The soul that on Jesus has leaned for repose, I will not, I will not desert to its foes. That soul, through all heaven, through all heaven should endeavour to shake, I will never, no never, no never forsake. Let's pray. Father, this morning we thank you for the example of Stephen. We thank you through the persecution he stood to. He stood tall in the sharing of Christ. He stood tall in his response to those who were abusing him, those who eventually stoned him. Father God, would we all stand tall in the sharing of Christ? Would we all stand tall? in the face of persecution, even if it's unto death. And Father, this morning, would you strengthen us, strengthen us afresh in our faith, in our hope, as we look forward to being welcomed home by Jesus. May our eyes continually be fixed on him. And Heavenly Father, would you give us all grace to stand tall in this broken world, we ask all this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.